which I hesitate to say right now in this market environment, but debt can be a very valuable tool in many market environments. I want to say like an expert category of investing, but the reality is if we're dealing with high inflation, which we are, then the reality is you're, in, you're inflating your way out of debt, right? Mm -hmm. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Nathan Loy. And today, on today's episode, we have none other than Nick D'Angelo, the president of Saint Investment. So welcome, Nick. Yeah, I appreciate it, Nathan. Glad to be here and great uh, catching up with, with you a little bit beforehand. Yeah, no, this is going to be an exciting episode. I'm ready for it. So, you know, before we dive in today's topic of kind of the current economic climate, the decade, you know, potential decade worth long of inflation that lies ahead of us and different kind of investments that work well during inflationary times and, and ones that might not work as well. Can you tell us, you know, your story, how you got to where you got to be and, and kind of how your group got started? Absolutely. So the, you know, there's, there's kind of two stories on the origin side. The first is that I grew up around a family of entrepreneurs. So they're immigrants, they came to this country and it was, uh, you know, an Italian family that just had this very entrepreneurial spirit that was very clear about move forward. You know, we're in the country of opportunity. You take advantage of that and work hard and you can be successful. And so while uh, everybody worked a lot of hours and that was, you know, and hard work was very uh, respected in my family, there was a very clear uh, direction to kids and the next generation that there was no ceiling in the U.S., that you could do anything and achieve anything. So that was something that, that was very near and dear to my heart. So the more I read investment books from an early age, you know, money management, real estate was just the shining star. It really was. And so there was nothing else that I really wanted to do. I always knew that I'd be working with companies and I'd be starting companies along the way. Just it was kind of part of the gig for, for a family of immigrants that had that mentality. But um, real estate was always the end goal, always. So what did the, where did that lead me? It led me to get towards real estate investors that were much more successful than me from a very early age. So I started even in high school. I helped some friends and family that I just knew were successful. I wanted to learn from and I helped them with real estate marketing early on. So I got my foot lightly, slightly in the door by doing that. Um, and then, you know, kept in touch with them, learned from them over the years. And then it really started hit the, hitting the ground running when I was getting out of college in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. And I knew these people had money. I knew that I was surrounded by people that had a, an interest in real estate or even a light um, investment in real estate. But there were more deals than dollars at that time. Right. So there was this huge market discrepancy where there were deals going for below replacement costs. Right. We don't even hear that term anymore often. Right. Below, re below replacement costs. And there was money that was just too scared to do anything about it. So it was a capital advantage point. The buyer was in a significant advantage. So we took advantage of it. And we, you know, I, I pulled some capital. We were buying millions and millions at trustee sales, which was the biggest opportunity at that time. Um, we gravitated towards commercial. So a lot of retail, a lot of office, crazy, a little bit of industrial at that time. And then fast forward, we had all these properties and we had no asset management, right? So we didn't know what to do with all these properties. So I kind of built out the asset management arm with a couple of my partners 
And then we woke up and in 2015, we started taking outside investor capital because we now have this long track record of doing this. So um, that's really the, you know, genesis from the real estate side. But uh, on the entrepreneurial side, I was running companies at the same time. So I'd like to say that uh, real estate was like the earliest dollars I ever made. The reality is I had started and built several companies over the years and it reached a point where real estate was always the interest that was always the goal, but these companies were doing great, right? And that's, an, that's a really good thing unless you've been on the entrepreneurial side and you understand that sometimes you don't build a company in the way that's the most strategic for, let's say, your health or your mental health or your relationships, et cetera, et cetera. So I reached a point where I was putting in, you know, 100 plus hour weeks every single week, right? And these companies were doing great and they were, you know, very profitable, but they were lumpy. So we were making a ton of money one month. And then the next month we were having huge issues where it was not an issue with the company. It was just a cash flow management perspective. And I sat down and it was like, these again, these companies were very successful. And I went through the numbers and I was, again, my health was significantly impacted. I was very, 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 I was not exercising. I was eating like crap. I was eating in my car wherever I could in the office. I was scarfing down whatever. Uh, my personal relationships were suffering. Wasn't close with family, with friends. Hadn't talked to many people in years. My romantic relationship was one of the few things I had that was falling apart. Uh, and then at the end of the day, I realized you know this this roller coaster of finances I was on uh, with some companies being very seasonal was just difficult. And I I sat down. I said. I can't do this. I need to analyze my, my finances. What I found out was that after years of raising money in my own businesses and then shoveling that freaking money into real estate, right? Very, I, I, real, I was a multimillionaire driving a Prius, which I still have today. It's my favorite car in the world. Um, and I was just putting every single dollar from the companies into real estate. And I woke up and about 80% of my income was coming from real estate at that point. And only 20% was coming from these companies I was pouring hundreds of hours into. And I was like, well, what am I doing? What if I put 100% of our focus into real estate? So that's when we positioned the companies, the multiple companies, we sold those, they're in multiple states. And that's when the real estate side really took off. We started taking outside investment. We started bringing in other investors and really it was what I enjoyed doing. So that's kind of along and the short of both sides of that. It was kind of my aha moment where I knew the biggest value I could add to people was to bring them into the investment fold and show them what we were doing successfully. And also for me to focus, you know, straight on with our amazing team and uh, just keep going ahead on that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. There's so much to unpack this. So, you know, I, I first want to start off with the Pareto principle, right? That kind of like that 80-20 rule where it's, <clears throat> you can spend a hundred plus hours on a company, but it's really what, what's really driving the needle forward the most. So what, what kind of businesses were they? Were they real estate businesses? Were they marketing? Was it com something completely different? Yeah. So it was, a, it was a number of different businesses that all overlap. So I just, hmm. there's, there's, a, pr a principle in, you know, in uh, entrepreneurship or, in, you know, in small business, especially these were all small businesses doing um, at their peak around a million dollars a month with really high margins. So that's, that's healthy, but it's also not a massive business. It's not a, you know, a multinational or something. So yep. they ranged from anywhere from emerging industries. So we did things like 
cannabis. We did things like working with new legislation with um, different cities where we were buying retail centers and rezoning them. So a lot of entitlement heavy stuff, uh, a lot of things where we were buying properties and upgrading them for electrical distribution, things that were like really hands-on industries, finance. We, we had an ATM company, so we weren't focusing. We were just adding on horizontal businesses rather than going really vertical on any one thing. Yeah. So when I understood the value on the real estate side of, of just really going all in on the real estate piece or on any one industry, it really became apparent, the Pareto principle, right? Where you can be a master of one thing and get paid exponentially, add exponential value for being such a high level value in that place, rather than being a wishy-washy dabbler in a bunch yeah. of different things. So we just cleared the deck and just said, real estate, we're doing good. It's a natural strength. We need to move ahead on that. Yep. Yep. And I love that you took a look at your kind of financial health too, because when you have so many businesses and you have all this income coming in, you know, it's easy to get distracted by, you know, the Ferraris that you could have bought um, or the houses that you could have bought. But to really kind of take a, a financial kind of pulse on what is really driving the most income, where am I kind of bleeding my expenses? So, you know, for those high income earners, doctors, attorneys, lawyers, can you walk us through what that methodology was of, all right, you know, you have this income coming in, but how did you actually analyze that it was real estate that was kind of the driving force of all the, the income that was coming in? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm a huge fan. Many of my mentors growing up, extremely wealthy, you know, um, most of them had an either immigrant or first generation immigrant mentality. So there was, they simplified investing and simplified, you know, really big life moral things in, in amazing ways. And so one of them was that really helped me was that there was no such thing as earned income, right? Every dollar that you brought in was only fuel for your investments. That's how I lived. So if I made, you know, hundreds of thousands a year, I didn't eat off that. I refused to spend that on good, healthy living, happy living, going skydiving and living on yachts. Like I wasn't going to do that with that money, right? That right. money didn't count until it was paying me back from investments, Right. So only the second round of income that I received, meaning I, I earned that income once, but I immediately invested that into investments. By the time I received that again from the investments, I was like, I'm really proud of this dollar. I'm proud of this dollar, not the first dollar. That's just the dollar that goes into the bank account that now is going to find an investment home. That second dollar, that second time around. So I really stuck close to that. Again, I didn't have kids. I was living a very efficient, you know, very uh, financially efficient life. Now I have a bunch of freaking kids. I have a big family and, and all that. But um, at that time, I spent nothing. I invested everything. And that grew exponentially for me in a big way. Yep. Yep. I think it goes back to kind of that principle of being diligent, of being patient, right? Because most of the time when you see, you know, money in your bank account, the kind of natural reaction of most, you know, called the standard American is to go out and buy something new with it or to go and celebrate. Right. But those that are really focused on, on building wealth at a, at least on a massive scale, fuel that into investments, then take the profits from in the investments to live off of and to kind of build that cash flow. But at the very least, it's not, you know, sitting in your bank account earning 0.1% on your money. Right. Absolutely. So you can snowball a lot faster, which is great. Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, you've been through so many different economic climates with, you know, creating businesses, exiting businesses, picking up real estate, disposing of real estate. Kind of give us your view of the current economic climate, 
what's caused you know the the record inflation that we have seen in the past year year and a half and then why you think that's going to sustain itself for you know potentially another decade yeah i mean so i'm i'm admittedly a huge dork right so i go all the way down the rabbit hole on economic issues and really geopolitical issues because in a globalized world everything inter intertwines in a big way right oh my gosh so inflation here we are um the good news is inflation's been going down, but you know I don't have a huge bet on that. I don't think that's a forever. I don't think in, inflation was a blip on the radar, and I've been spending a lot of time on this. So, you know, if you look back at what was the summer of 2022, inflation hit nine percent year over year, right? Nine percent, which we haven't heard in you know decades of decades, right? I think it was the 70s the last time we were throwing around crazy numbers like that. And people were, you know, scared, rightfully so. But if you unpacked that and you really dug in, the reality was it was mostly COVID, right? Like if you if you really peel back the layers, it takes a supply chain in a global environment like we're in about 18 months to adapt to major changes in the uh, environment and in the in, in the consumer preference. So if people were working from home all of a sudden then office was going down. So then are they buying computers at home or are they traveling less? Are they buying less cars and are they buying more playground equipment to get their kids outside so that they could focus on? Those are all trends in the consumer markets that are up and down. And then, then by the time the companies figure this out, then they have to retool their construction or excuse me, their manufacturing and their, their sales. To, that all takes about 18 months to even out. So the peak of that was summer 2022, right around that 9%. So the good news is I think we're well out of the COVID uh, inflationary environment and that will be ticking down from COVID. Mm -hmm. The issue though, the issue though, is that this is a storm brewing for many factors. And so inflation is a complex issue. It's not ever one thing most, most common. Where we're at today, is man, I mean, I could drill. We, we literally spent a two hour webinar on this. So I'm going to send you the link. If your listeners want to check this out, you know, you have a smart audience. I know you have a very intelligent audience. They can really drill down on this. We go crazy depth. But long story short, you know, there's domestic, or excuse me, there's international. You look at China, the cost of goods, you know, the cost of production in China is up 15x over since two, the early 2000s. So that hits Americans as the biggest consumer of Chinese goods. That hits our wallet on that side. Uh, more concerning to me is the domestic issue.